Gracious God, have mercy on us. In your compassion, forgive us our sins, known and unknown, things done and things left undone. Uphold us by your Spirit, so that we may live and serve you in the newness of life, to the honor and glory of your holy name, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for us, and for his sake, God forgives us all our sins. As a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ, and by Christ's authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. I invite you now to join me in the Psalm of the Day, in Psalm 96, which will be read responsibly. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families and nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring him on and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness.
your majesty exceeds anything that we can even begin to imagine. Your beauty is beyond beauty. Your glory shines like the sun. We are just mere specks of dirt. But you love and you care for each and every one of us. You know each one by name. And you care so much for each and every human being that has ever existed or that will <coughs> ever exist. And we are so ever thankful that you show that love for us through your suffering and death on the cross for each and individual person. That we may be able to spend eternity with you. And so we offer the little praise and the little that we are able to do now. Because to us it's a lot, and to you it's even more, to know that our hearts are open to you, and that we love because you first loved us. And so we offer our worship, our praise, to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated as uh, we listen to our God speaking to us through his scriptures this day. Your labor prompted by love, 
and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived, how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us, of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message out, rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Here ends the second lesson. to stand as you are able for our Lord's gospel appointed for this day. Holy gospel is according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter, beginning at verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no, no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites! Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let us pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we give praise and thanks to you for the day that you have given, and especially for your word. And we pray now that you open our eyes for us to see you, unblock our ears for us to hear you, Awaken our hearts, stir your spirit within us, that we may know you and your will for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You know, it's been almost three years now since I've been here. 
But three years ago, when I was first meeting the church council and the call committee, I said to them all, I want nothing to do with money in the church. And I can already see the treasurer cringing at the sermon. So as pastor, I am your spiritual director, not your financial babysitter. I don't believe that it's a pastor's responsibility to show and tell people how they should use their money. Now, one of the greatest spiritual directors of all times makes a very valid point when he says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Likely the richest man in his time, Solomon did speak about money. And surprisingly, yes, he did find great pleasure in his riches. A feast is made for laughter, wine is made merry, and money is the answer for everything. And yes, there are many people today who believe that money can buy anything, including happiness. Simply listen to the many advertising slogans that are used to make us buy lottery tickets. So today is one of those few times that you will ever hear me preach about tithing or money. And Apostle Paul is clear in expressing the value of tithing to the spiritual welfare when he says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Giving and tithing is something that is done from the heart, without compulsion, nor anticipation of receiving anything in return. When we give cheerfully, then we actually experience joy and blessing in what we have done. And you know, just yesterday, for example, we were here at the church, and before we started the convention over in the other room electronically, we had a gentleman who had been sleeping on the street. He was asking for some money, but he was really willing to give me cigarettes for his money, which I refused anyway. But we gave him some money and sent him off. Now, we never ought to give expecting something in return. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them, begins Jesus. In teaching about the Beatitude, Jesus makes the point that we ought to give, especially when the recipient can't give back anything in return. The blessings we reap is not ever in the form of payback. Because if you're thinking this way, what you're doing is you're teaching and you're living in what we might actually call today the prosperity gospel. That I will be blessed because I'm blessing others, which is not what the gospel teaches us. So anticipation or expectation actually corrupts the blessings that we get in giving. Now, this becomes apparent when we review the story of the two Old Testament brothers, Abel and Cain. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. To God, who sees the heart, 
the motivation between behind these two different offerings being given to him was very apparent. Abel was a cheerful giver. Cain was a reluctant giver. It's not a matter of what was being offered or the quantity thereof that was being offered, but rather the quality of the giver's heart. Now, the book of Leviticus introduces us to the Israelite cultist of offerings. Now, although we hear about different offerings prior to the Exodus, the process of making offertory gifts to the Lord actually gets formalized in the first few chapters of this book. When anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord begins the introduction to the children of Israel. The first offering is the Holocaust, the whole burnt offering. In this case, the whole animal is given completely over to the Lord. The quality of the offering is also important, as animals are to be without blemish or defect to be acceptable. The fellowship offering is introduced into Israel's cultus of offerings later on in Leviticus, because it is an expression of thankfulness, writes Moses. As time passes, well, resentment for having to destroy perfectly good animals might have set in. Now, even our fellowship gifts can be of no value when they're given reluctantly like Cain. The prophet Amos warns a complacent people saying, even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them, says the Lord God. The offering of sacrifices to the Lord had deteriorated into a combination of rote and disposal. It was just a simple way for the Israelites to adhere to the rules by offering, not the best of the herd, but maybe a sick, a defective, or a dying animal instead. Now, we're not going to go into the creation or the evolution or the use of money throughout human history, except to say that it is money that appears to be the central theme of today's gospel reading. The history of the use of coins as currency is actually shrouded in mystery, according to archaeology. While the use of coins throughout the known world doesn't actually move very far from having the same effect and characteristics as those objects which people seem to hold close to their hearts. Like those things that we consider precious, the love of money or those things is the root of all kinds of evil. But hey, money was and is a necessary commodity. Nobody can argue that. It was used to pay taxes in the first century, and it's still used to pay taxes today. We need money to purchase the things that we need. Although we often forget that money is also a blessing that has been received from God, who provides everything for life. Give us this day our daily bread, our Lord Jesus taught us to pray. 
Now, some people will challenge this worldview, believing that they worked hard to earn their own money, forgetting that it was God who provided them with the health of body to be able to accomplish the work they did. But like so many other things, when we place money before God in our lives, we give God second place. And we make money the idol that controls our lives. No one can serve two masters, says Jesus. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, this must have really been hard for the religious leaders to hear. Because Jesus also says, The Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and they were sneering at Jesus. But in fact, when you love money, you become resentful of having to give it, or to give anything else away for that matter, especially when you don't get something back of value for it. And again, you know, this is where the lotteries bypass the joy of cheerful giving. Because we're giving to those lotteries expecting to win something in return for our giving. And now let's return to taxation for a moment. I know everybody loves to talk about taxes. I'm not even getting any laughter with that one. That's too bad. But without going into detail, we pay many different taxes every day of our lives. Taxation is just as much a part of the world now as it is in the New Testament. As Jesus recounts observing, you know, a poor widow who came and put two very small copper coins worth only a cent into the place where the temple tax was put. This is only one of the many taxes collected by the temple. You have the annual half-shekel tax, which was collected from every Israelite male. The temple sacrifices required from 1% to 2% taxation of goods and animals to be given to the priests. All the people were required to remit their tithe to the Levites, along with an extra 1% of hunting and gathering to the chief priests, along with various other temple gatherings. And if the religious taxes weren't enough, the imperial tax was also collected to support the Roman government. The Jewish tax collectors were hired by the Romans to collect the tax on their very own people while pocketing any extra profit that they might be able to scam off their fellow Israelites' tax payments to Rome. The total tax burden in Judea could have been as high as 60% of one's total income. So it's quite easy to understand why taxation would be such a hot topic as so much of a person's money was being taken away in taxes. And although Jesus did speak with his disciples on a few occasions about the topic of money, today's gospel is clearly a cleverly laid trap by the Pharisees 
in order to discredit Jesus in front of his supporters or to get him arrested by the Roman officials. The Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words, begins the account. Contextually, in the same manner as our previous readings, we find ourselves in Jerusalem shortly after Palm Sunday. Jesus is in the temple. He's teaching the people who have gathered, but he's also within earshot of the religious leaders who gather therein. And before we get into the heart of the gospel, I want to talk about something maybe that many of you might have done at one time or another. Now in grade school, some of you might remember being asked to bring something for show and tell. Now as a student, you would bring in something to class, something really important to you, and you would show it to your classmates and to your teacher, and you would tell everyone what it is and why it was important to you. Hey, even as adults, you know, we spend a lot of time doing show and tell with each other. You might need help with a remote control. Show and tell me how to use it, you might ask. We might ask somebody to show and tell us how something that we are curious about or unsure about. While at other times we might ask somebody to show and tell us something that because we don't trust them. And we might want to be shown proof that something is actually the truth. Now in one of the churches I served, they actually asked me to record every hour I spent doing church work so that they could verify week by week that I was spending a minimum of 40 hours a week working on church stuff. That's the extreme of show and tell. Now the Old Testament book of Exodus actually has a very different, although a similar type of show and tell occurring. God brought his chosen people, the children of Abraham, out of slavery in Egypt, and first he brings them to himself on Mount Sinai. And then, of course, he sends them to freedom in the Promised Land. But unlike any other time in history, God is responding to the skeptical cries of the children of Israel to show and tell that not only has God heard their cries, but that God is really God Almighty above all gods. Of course, first God has to show and tell a skeptical Moses, who does everything possible to avoid returning to Egypt in the first place. And then next God has to show and tell Pharaoh that he is more powerful than any of the gods of Egypt. And after Everything that happens, you know, you would expect that Israel would never, ever need to ever again say, show me God again. Or would they? But the people were so afraid that they even refused to look to see the glory of their God on Mount Sinai. And they even asked Moses to be their middleman. And what about Moses? He has done everything that has been asked of him. And finally, he asks God the ultimate show and tell. After everything Moses has witnessed in his life and done, he asks God, show me your glory. 
Now, from this point onward, the presence of God's glory traveled with Moses and the children of Israel for the next 40 years in the wilderness as they journeyed towards the promised land. And now, the descendants of those people asked Jesus a trick question, which actually turns out to be an opportunity for God to again play show and tell with the children of Israel. Tell us then, they begin, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? So in an attempt to trap Jesus in his own words, the Herodians have posed a question which can only be answered yes or no. And to make matters worse, paying taxes to the Romans in the first century is a touchy issue as most people would prefer to keep their money for themselves. In answering their trick question, Jesus begins by asking them to show me the coin used for paying the tax. Jewish coins were only used to pay the temple tax. The coin that is given to Jesus is identified as a Roman denarius, and it is stamped with a physical image and with a name the image of Caesar, who is the supreme ruler of the known world. Only Roman coins could be remitted to pay the imperial tax to Rome. The coin shown to Jesus is already the property of Caesar, which is why Jesus can very easily say, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now, at this point, nothing else needs to be said because Jesus has answered the question fully. No problem. But Jesus doesn't stop here because he wants to make another point. Jesus now reaches back into the Hebrew Scriptures, which the Pharisees and the religious leaders know by heart. First of all, Jesus avoids incriminating himself with the law. Now, after leaving Egypt and all the carved images of their gods, the Almighty commands, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or the waters below. Anything bearing the physical image of God would be idolatry. Therefore, Jesus makes the next logical step after his show-and-tell presentation with the tax coin, saying, Give back to Caesar with his Caesars, and give to God with his gods. In this way, Jesus leaves his audience to try and figure out what it is that belongs to God that they should return to God. But the religious leaders know exactly what Jesus is saying, as they clue in to the book of Genesis. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Like the coin, the divine image of God is stamped into every single human being. The image of God is stamped into your very existence. Their trickery and their attempt to make Jesus look like a fool 
or to get him in trouble, failed miserably. Making the Pharisees and the Sadducees look both like the skeptics and the hypocrites that they actually were. And although Jesus has made the leaders look like fools, they would get their day when they would turn this question back on Jesus. This would take place at the foot of the cross. Now all the evidence is meaningless as the miracles, the feedings of the thousands on a few loaves of bread, the healing of the blind, the deaf, the lame, the lepers, the raising of people from the dead to life, the casting out of demons, even commanding the weather to obey him mean nothing at this point. The Gospels recount the taunting by the religious leaders responsible for Jesus' crucifixion. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God, they cry out. Even the criminals hanging with Jesus want him to show and tell so that we may see and believe. Show and tell me is a great challenge that we in the church face every day. How do you know God exists? Show me. How do you know Jesus is God? Show me. How do you know that Jesus really died and rose from the dead? Show me. Everything we believe is accepted by faith. When we look into Jesus' words today and ask ourselves, what did he mean when he said, give to God what belongs to God? We also need to react to Jesus' words accordingly by faith. Based on who we are as Christians, beloved children of God Almighty through our baptism, redeemed sinners because of the cross of Christ, members of a family that one day hope to be the promise of life eternal with the glory of the Father. We show and tell the world our true identity by choosing to act by faith because Christ is living in me now. We show our true colors to those around us by the way that we act towards each other. No, we can only show forth the love, the acceptance, and the forgiveness of God to others because it is Christ living in me who is my foundation and the solid rock on which I stand and daily work through as he reminds me that I am a dearly loved child of God whose glory and his splendor and his majesty was even too much for even Moses to see. In answering Moses' request to show and tell his glory, Moses only gets to see the backside of the Almighty walking away from him. In our desire to see God's glory, all we get to see is a glimpse of the invisible God in Christ suffering and dying on the cross. In all honesty, everything about the Almighty should really scare the living heck out of us, as it once did the children of Israel. 
who were standing at the base of Mount Sinai, and they knew that they could never be good enough to stand in the presence of a holy God. Luther himself describes the grace of God as frightening beyond belief. When God's grace comes running after us, when we're running away scared to death, we cannot fathom why the eternal, why the all-powerful God willingly becomes one of us, a frail and limited human, and why he would want to suffer and die for our sake so that we might have life. We simply cannot begin to imagine why a perfectly just, almighty God would willingly show mercy to miserable sinners like us. Now, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, begins Paul. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And yet, throughout history, the same question has been asked over and over again. Show and tell me the proof that it's true that I might also believe in Jesus and have eternal life. There are simply no facts which can replace a childlike faith. Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, says Jesus, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now in order to see the glory of God, we need to look up at the cross. We need to look up and see the suffering Christ through whom we get a glimpse at the backside of our God as Christ suffers and dies there because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way to come to the Father except through him. To him be all glory, now and forever.
This morning, we want to remember our brother Paul Kiesman, who is uh, grieving the passing of his son-in-law Keith to a heart attack. To our brother and sister Warner and Rose, who will be moving away shortly. And also for Ori, who was taken by ambulance to the hospital this morning. Let us pray. <clears throat> Gracious and Heavenly Father, your hand reaches out to touch the lives of your faithful children, but your hand is also reaching out to those who don't know you. Your grace reaches out to those who even run away from you, who don't want anything to do with you. But you have promised to always be there for us. And even when we don't acknowledge you, you are there with us. And so we are ever thankful for your continuing presence in all of our lives and in the lives of those who need you more as they go through the valleys of the shadows of life. We pray for Werner and Rose now as they prepare to move. They will be closer to their sons and and we know that you will take care of them wherever they go and that you will provide them with a faith community that will watch over them also. We pray for our doctors, for our nurses, for all those who, who are working tirelessly in this pandemic around our world. We pray especially for our government, governments around the world, the government in the nations that surround us, but especially for our provincial government at this time, Father, here in British Columbia, as we enter into the conclusion part of the elections this week, and that uh, you will find ways to make yourself very present in the life of those who are elected, that they may look to the needs of their constituents, to the needs of those who need the extra help in life, to the poor, to the needy, to the struggling, struggling either with whatever forms of problems that we they may have. As the season begins to get colder, we can't help but turn our attention to those who, 
who live on the streets. And just this last week, I've seen a number of people wrapped up in blankets sitting underneath the corners of buildings trying to stay warm with the cold night. We pray for them, Father. We pray for especially those leaders or politicians who can make their life more easy by providing the things that are required. We pray for your church. That your church may be faithful to your word. That we may always be mindful that it is you who died on the cross for us. That our salvation has been assured through you. Even though we are just specks on this earth. We are just we are sinners that don't even deserve what you have done. But you love us and you care so much for us. And sometimes we don't even comprehend that type of love, that type of forgiveness that you extend to us through the cross. We pray for all the many on our prayer list who need a healing touch in their lives. And we pray for all the members of our congregation, for those who are present here this day and for the many faces that are missing and for those who are at home watching our service. We're ever thankful for those who, who lead our worship, for our musicians, for all the many people who help and assist in, in being able to present this, to worship you, to gather in this place and to offer art praise to you. Along with all these things, Father, and the people on our prayer list, we raise to you those concerns that are on our hearts and minds at this time, either in the silence of this time or aloud.
everyone for the donations of food that were collected before Thanksgiving as uh, the Salvation Army Food Bank came and picked up those gifts from us this week and they were quite thankful for our donations. Uh, as I mentioned, the upcoming election is Saturday and so I invite you to make sure you fulfill your civic duty by voting and then you're welcome to come to church afterwards and help with the big cleanup as we prepare the church for fall by cleaning up inside and out but, and whoever is able to to make it to help. Uh, what else have we got here? We have the church council coming up on Tuesday and so members of council are invited to come together. Uh, as I mentioned, Werner and Rose are moving and uh, there is a request that if you have some uh, boxes that are useful for moving, uh, that uh, the boys have asked uh, that we possibly help in that sense by providing some boxes for them to move. Um, other than that, uh, I want to thank you all for joining us this day, for worshiping our God together, and I invite you now to receive God's blessings for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
Yeah.